Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Adding Context. Today's guest is Stephen Kepfer. Stephen, go ahead and introduce yourself and what you do. Hey, what's up, folks? Uh, my name is Steve. I I run a martial arts studio called New York Combat Sambo uh, since 2003 here in Manhattan. And I'm also a uh, filmmaker and stunt performer. And I, have, I wear a lot of hats, but the main, the main job is running the martial arts studio. Nice. Now, you do, uh, <clears throat> I noticed with the current state of things and COVID, you've been popping up a lot of videos of uh, you know, brief training videos. How's that working out for you? That's uh, pretty good. I mean, it, it, the, it's, it's a silver lining like of the, the COVID experience. I've been wanting to set up a streaming channel for a while. I didn't really want to go the, the Zoom route like a lot of people did. I wanted to do something more substantial and meaningful. And uh, so I started a, an on-demand channel that the students, all the students have access to for free, but anybody else who wants to watch it can, uh, can subscribe. It's like 10 bucks a month, put up two exclusive pieces of content a week and then one free one, you know, so free one, everybody could watch. And so we've been putting up a lot of solo training drills for free for people that, you know, can't get to a gym or working out at home or whatever. So, uh, it's been great. It's been, you know, it's served the purpose that, uh, of keeping the, the current students engaged and also, um, you know, expanding the brand. So yeah. it's multi and, and earning a little money when the gym was closed too. So I, I noticed that you have a pretty extensive background in martial arts uh, to include Taekwondo and Judo and obviously Sambo. What, uh, how long have you been uh, studying? Uh, essentially my whole life, but um, consistently without a break since, since high school, since sort of the end of high school, or maybe first year of college, some, somewhere around there. But uh, the, my first introduction was Shotokan Karate when I was like uh, a kid, like maybe uh, seven or eight or something like that. I think that. that was kind of like everybody's introduction to martial arts, especially yeah, if you're a yeah, child like, of the 80s. Uh, 70s. <laughs> 70s. And 80s, 70s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom, it was basically karate daycare. You know, my mom was uh, a grad student and uh, later a professor at. Queens College, and at that time, uh, they had like uh, you know programs for the the staff to put their kids in while they were working. So one of them was a karate program. So that's sort of how I got started, and then uh, planted the seed. I did that for about two years, and then um, you know later on when I got older, I picked it up on my own, like with Taekwondo. So that was you went from karate to Taekwondo. What brought you to Sambo? Uh, that was essentially like kind of by chance i wasn't specifically looking for for sambo but you know i did after having done taekwondo and then later sanchao and kung fu for a lot of years um in like 98 i was ready to move on from where i had been training and i was just looking around for for options you know i mean i knew what sambo was from the ufc but i didn't it wasn't really in my consciousness as something i could trained you know it's not like very common or anything and then uh a mutual friend pointed out that there was a a guy teaching here in the city so um alex barakoff his name 
And then, um, yeah, in 99, I went to early 99, I went to uh, try a class of his and I was hooked and it's been Sambo since. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What, um, what I guess was the big driving factor for you to starting your school? Was it just to get that, that freedom and flexibility of continuing the training and, and sharing the, the knowledge that you earned? <laughs> I wish it could be so noble, but no, it was literally my coach forcing it on me, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, I took it willingly, but it wasn't like when, you know, at that time, this was in like, uh, you know, the 2000s, early 2000s, you know, I, my martial arts always for me at that time was just sort of a retirement plan, you know, Got it. like I'll work my job. And then when I retire, I'll open a little martial arts studio and, you know, like that kind of thing. Like I never planned on not training, you know, it's a big part of my life, but it wasn't, I never thought of it as a possible profession. Got it. And then um, Alex, uh, for years, he would say, like, hey, you know, I'm going back to Russia one day. You're going to take over. I've chosen you, basically. And I was like, uh, okay, yeah, sure, lip service. Yeah, I'll do it, you know. And then one day in, in um, 03, he was like, yeah, so I bought my plane ticket back to Russia, <laughs> and uh, you're going to take over, right? And I was like, uh, I guess so. That's got to be a huge compliment, though. Yeah, I, I – you know, it was, it was for sure. And then years later, you know, I mean, there were definitely guys that we were training with that were technically better than me, I think, you know, like better grapplers or whatever. Sometimes but not the best technique person. It's the person, yeah. the overall person that, that can really teach well, and that, engage. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, basically I remember then we were talking in, um, I guess it was Oh eight when we well, you know, when I went to Russia to, visit him for the first time after he had left. And then, uh, I just asked him like, you know, why me? Obviously, you know? And then he was like, let me ask you this question of, of that core group of people. How many of them are still training? You know? And I was like, it's basically none, you know, <laughs> or, or very few, you know, he clearly saw. And, something uh, in you. Yeah. He was like, look, I knew you would keep it going. You know, right. I knew you would keep it going. And, yeah. uh, have so, you ever uh, yeah, that's... competed in um, any of the amateur grappling tournaments and stuff that float around? Yeah, I mean, I, I competed at the very first Grappler's Quest, like back in 1998. Nice. And then uh, I, and, uh, Gene LaBelle, I mean, you know, I haven't competed. Uh, my last competition was 2014. Okay. And that one was, there was a lot of years in between that one and, and yeah. prior to that. But, you know... Uh, generally younger, like I was involved in the early stages of sort of grappling, developing as a, as a mainstream kind of martial arts sport that you could do, yeah. you know? Um, so I, I competed at the Jean LaBelle world grapplers challenge in Toronto in 98, the first, uh, grapplers quest, um, you know, just early, early stuff like that. I didn't compete a whole lot in grappling. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to right. compete in it, but you know, I was doing it back then. That was even before I trained Sambo. You know, really? that was sort of the tail end of my my prior incarnation where we were just doing like mid eighties rudimentary <laughs> grappling from, you know, videotapes and whatever our teachers Simple knew, takedowns you know? and, and grab and pray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basic <laughs> stuff, you know. I mean if you look at in fact to uh, anybody who's gonna subscribe to my uh thing my uh, channel, you know, I do a coach sessions series where I break down matches. And uh, one of the ones I break down my own 
first grappling match, you know, and like, so it's funny to go back and like yell at myself, <laughs> ah, what are you doing? You know, it's like, but did you win but, that? Uh, and how did you do in that tournament? Um, I didn't place, but I went one and one, like I won one and I lost one. You I know? think I did the same thing in the, uh, the, one of the grapple tournaments, grappler's quest that I did. I think that was in early 2000s. I think it was maybe Oh three. And I think I placed third. And it's yeah. just, I love the, I love the sport of grappling. Oh, me too. It's, it's so much fun, you know? And then, I mean, one of the things I think that helps me out as a coach is that, uh, I've competed in lots of different, uh, things, you know, Taekwondo, Kung Fu tournaments. Uh, I had a amateur MMA fight. It actually was a shooto in a shooto rules fight that was in, um, 96. Oh no, it was in 97. You know, I had a bunch of Sanchao fights, uh, you know, a couple of grappling tournaments and then, um, Competed in Shui Zhao and in, in Sambo. So, you know, it's like I think the diversity of my competitive experience lends to my being a good coach. And it also kind of it informs the, the flavor of my gym. You know, like we're a Sambo school, but we just train for, for whatever. Anything, you know? yeah. yeah. Having that, that variety of a background, I think it gives you a better appreciation. It also gives you different perspectives on things. And I, I think that's one of the things that I've always noticed about people who are – one school or, or one practice, you lose some context of approaching and, and different situations. And when you've got such a variety of you know, martial arts background that you have, it's it gives you a much bigger arsenal to protect yourself and, and you know, possibly inflict damage on people. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's just, in a way, it's the way you should approach life. You should just be open to all possibilities and um it's like it's like guys like uh jujitsu guys or grapplers who are like are all onto the let's say the heel hook fetish they're like oh i want to you know and so they'll complain and whine about a tournament not allowing heel hooks (laughs) and then i kind of am like really your entire game is based on one move right so like you're not very (laughs) flexible like if you can't if you can finish a heel hook you should be able to finish a toe hold or an ankle lock or some other thing and so, like, if it really pisses you off that much that you can't do one technique, then and then I, there's a problem. I understand yeah. why they don't allow those. I mean, that's if you crank that the right way, you're gonna you can definitely do some damage to somebody. So sure. I, I understand why they they kind of ban that particular thing. But like you said, if if you're that high level of a of a practitioner, you should have way more tools in your toolbox to to end end situations and fights. Yeah. Well, I think I think most of the people that are that whine and complain about it are not high level. You know, okay. I think um, I think the high level guys are fine with, you know, oh, I can't do that. I'll do this. You know, like like take Sambo, for example, like in sports Sambo, you can't do chokes. Right. And there's a, a lot of people. I, look, I, I love chokes. I also do judo and, and we choke and we compete in jujitsu tournaments where we choke each other. Right. We train chokes, you know, but the Sambo rules don't allow chokes. And some people bitch and moan about it, but I'm like, what's the big deal? Find another way to win. Right. You know, this is, this is life. You know, it's like you can't every have everything the way you want. And then, right. so that's the value of competing and, and trying all different types of rule sets because yeah. then you'll be able to see where your, your holes are, right. you know, and improve as a fighter overall. I mean, I, yeah, I coach middle school wrestling and one of the big things that I, a couple of the big things that I, kind of really trying to impress on them is one if you can walk off the mat and understand why you didn't have your hand raised it's a it's a learning experience it's not a loss 
And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big things that I've learned in my time as a you know, little bit of martial arts that I've done and, and all the wrestling that I've done is, you know, it, it teaches you to be comfortable in the uncomfortable, to, to work through adversity. And yeah. you know, like you're saying, if you're banning certain maneuvers, it's it's teaching you to fill your holes and, and become an all-around more well-rounded practitioner. Yeah, yeah, Ab- absolutely. So I don't really, you know, whatever. I just, <laughs> I'm a very go-with-the-flow kind of guy. Like, I don't really complain if something's missing from the rules, unless it doesn't make logical sense. Like, right. there's certain things that, like, don't make logical sense that um, allow for the development of bad habits. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of stuff. Like, for example, um, no slam. Like, we were talking about this last night with some of the guys. Uh, no slamming in jiu-jitsu, but you can jump guard, right? Which is if almost you can a slam. <laughs> Well, yeah, if you can jump guard, then then and it becomes my responsibility to make sure you don't get slammed. Like, that's ridiculous. Okay, you know, yeah. it's like or or like uh, if I stand up and you're you're holding guard or you have a triangle on me, I can stand you up and lift you in the air. But then it's up like, to you to get sat down nicely and, yeah. and not slamming. But I right. Mean, but if this was like a non-sport situation, I would. Crack Slim. your skull open. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do an Arona from Pride, you know, just like, <laughs> bam. But it's like, so, so, but then again, I see the argument like, hey, it's a sport. Right. That's the rule. Okay. But, you know, I think it just develops a bad habit. Like, if, if I'm working a triangle on somebody or a, a closed guard, some kind of geek choke or something, and they stand up and start to lift me up, I'm going to open my guard and just stand up too. Right. You know, not going to hang in the air. You know, so it's just a bad habit, but a lot, but people do it because it's allowed within the rules. Right. You know? Yeah. And, you know, one of the big philosophies that one of the guys that I used to train with really preached was, you know, practice as you would do in reality. So when it comes to time to do it in reality, it's just second nature. You know, pra- yeah. uh, was it fight like you practice, practice like you fight. Um, yeah. So what, uh, what brought you or how'd you get into the whole stunt work? Um, it's one of those weird things. It's kind of like I've always had an interest in film ever since childhood. And, uh, in fact, went to when I was a kid, like junior high school age, I went to camp for filmmaking yeah, for a couple of summers. Um, well, you know, while everybody else was camping and stuff, I was like at New York Institute of Technology. They used to have a summer camp out in Long Island. And so I would go out there. They had a filmmaking section, you know, and it was like most of those college type camp things is like the film students there, I'm sure were the ones running the, you know, they were the counselors or whatever, but it was great. I, that's the first time. Well, I would say the first time I formally was taught like sort of concepts about editing, even though at that time we were editing on decks, big decks with (laughs) Betamax tapes and stuff like that. But the concept of how to edit and how to just kind of, I, I wouldn't call myself an editor by any means, but I have a basic understanding of, you know, sort of what you want to do. Right. And then, um, even before that, before I went to camp, I, my dad, me and my friend, Mike Sarna, who now lives down, down South, he's like a airline. Um, he works in airlines. He's like a mechanic, but, um, we used to make movies on super eight, you know, (laughs) cameras and, uh, edit them and do our own ridiculous, like special effects, like using whatever we could like fireworks or whatever, you know, we did some (laughs) crazy stuff that probably, you know, should have, should have got hurt worse than we did. But, (laughs) but 
I've always been interested in it, you know. And then I went to college to School of Visual Arts. The original um, idea being to learn film, you know, or at least to use it as a as a pathway to film. Right. And then um, I got a a full scholarship to um, SVA for advertising. So, um, you know, I got my BFA with a focus in advertising and art direction. But uh, in my mind, I was like, all right, I'm going to learn how to make commercials, like 30-second movies, you know. Right. So, you know, I, I learned some basic stuff there, like how to put together uh, storyboards and copyright and, like, you know, everything that you would need, like, for, for like, a short. You know building what I mean? Blocks, right. Yeah, all these building blocks. And then I ended up not working in that industry, you know, uh, went into a whole different world uh, life, you know. And then um, in – Oh six, YouTube came out, and um, I started a, a Sambo channel on YouTube. It's like the first Sambo channel there is. Like, I challenge anybody to find a Sambo video <laughs> on YouTube older than the the first one on my channel. I, nice. They won't find it. And um, but it was great. I I started kind of it rekindled my interest in you know video and making making films, and it was all just Sambo instructionals and stuff like that. And by two thousand seven. I guess I had enough notoriety that that's how I got the job. I think it was through YouTube and just kind of my rep at that time. Uh, that's how I got the job on Human Weapon f on History Channel. Uh, on the that, that was an awesome show. <laughs> yeah, I was like a technical advisor for the Sambo episode. Nice. And then, um, you know, and then that started kind of the ball rolling, you know. Making I started then I... network. Yeah, exactly. And then... Um, the stunt thing happened like after I had produced a documentary called New York Mixed Martial Arts, uh, directed by uh, a friend of mine at the time named Colleen Poole, um, who ironically is now faculty at uh, SVA, I think, in the film department. Nice. But at that time, um, we we did a documentary called New York Mixed Martial Arts about how MMA was still illegal here in New York. Right, we were like the last state and uh, to legalize it. And that documentary got some acclaim, and then eventually, like this never happens on most people's first movies, but we got picked up and distributed, and then uh, we were on Hulu for many years in the Hulu catalog. Nice. And um, so a former student of mine who used to fight for us and ended up, you know, he went to film school. He ended up moving to L.A. His name is Sean Fitzgerald. Contacted me. He's like, hey, you're a big-time producer now. You want to help me, <laughs> you know, you want to help me with this pilot? He he was writing a series called uh, Choke Artist, and um, I uh, he reached out to me, you know, after the success with New York MMA, and he was like, "Hey, you want to help me with this?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." So we raised like eight thousand dollars. We um, shot a, a ten minute proof of concept for his show, and um, basically, it was the first time I really like seriously produced something like the, the documentary was real easy because it was a world I was familiar with, you know, and it was just kind of, it was more just regurgitating uh, what you knew with that. And just, you know, like kind of the nuts and bolts of like, of just getting the deliverables ready for Hulu and for our distributor, like kind of just like the business side of stuff. You right. know what I mean? Like, getting all the music licensing and um, making sure everything was copacetic for, for it to, to be online, you know, like all that stuff, like the, the boring stuff. Yeah. But um, 
this, but Choke Artist was the first time I, I worked on anything from script to screen, really. And that was in uh, 2014. And from casting to location scouting to, to all of it. You know what I mean? Nice. And, um, and we cast, um, in the lead, we cast another former student of mine, Al Iaquinta, <laughs> who fights in the UFC. And, uh, I know that name. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was not a primary student of mine. I don't want to give the wrong impression, but for a couple of years, I taught out in, in um, Long Island once a week. I taught grappling at a, a gym out there where he was training at the time when he was like, you know, 17, 18, 19 or something like that. Nice. And, um, but we stayed friends since. And then, so he reached out and said he was kind of interested in, in auditioning, you know? So we cast him in it. Um, he did it. He did a good job in it, man. And yeah. then, um, uh, when we finished it, um, because he was in it and he was talking about it over and over again in post fight press conferences, we're working on this new show. And, <laughs> you know, my friend Sean, who wrote it is, is on the product. He's a producer for the bachelor out in, in LA. Like when he moved to LA after film school, you know, to become a filmmaker, like he started out as a PA and the producer. He's dirty work. <laughs> yeah. He, but now he's like a producer on the, on the bachelor still nice. today. Right. But, uh, so, you know, whatever. And, um, we, we shot it and then because Al was in there talking about it all the time. And then there was another show at the time in pre-production or trying to, trying to be created called Navy street, which now everybody knows is kingdom, like another MMA show. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and so at that time, those were like the two MMA shows, like trying to come into production. Right. So because Al was with UFC, Fox Sports, we made it. Fox Sports did a whole story on our on our um, show, and we gave variety. them. It did, and we gave them exclusivity to show it. So they showed it on the on the Fox Sports website, the the pilot, and that got us on the radar of um, Darren Aronofsky's office. Because apparently, um, Black Swan, right, uh, right, the wrestler, you know, Noah. A lot of big movies, like big yeah. time, and um, that got on the radar. There, he was he was considering doing a TV series. So uh, we had a couple of meetings there. It didn't go anywhere, but it was also just another great experience, like to go and pitch the show, and then have a second meeting and a third meeting, and then like so. Basically, we had to write a um, a seven season story arc. Like basically, when we went to our first meeting, we had the. We had the the script for the pilot. We had our proof of concept, and we had a story arc for season one. And they wanted to see a story arc for seven seasons. They were like, That's... "We we need we need to know that this the writing is not going to shit the bed." Basically, right. after after season one, so we went back and and we did that. Sean Sean I, honestly Sean is the main writer. I kind of just would come in after he, you know, and maybe help with some ideas or whatever. But um, technical and then uh, yeah technicalities and also some creative stuff, but I mean, it was his baby, right. you know what I mean? And, um, anyway, the show never went anywhere, but I did meet the stunt coordinator that works with him. You know, um, his name is Doug Crosby and, uh, he's responsible for getting a lot of MMA people into the stunt business. Like, uh, cause he's a, also a judge, an MMA judge. And, um, so even though the show didn't get anywhere, the act, the MMA fight in the pilot got some, some nice play. That for being pretty legitimate that I choreographed and stuff. And then Doug was like, Hey man, you should really consider stunts, you know, as a, as a possibility. And that was the first time that I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. I love film. I love 
fighting. I never thought of really putting, putting them together, together. Yeah. before. And then um, the rest is history. So that was like around 2015. I took my first fighting for film class. And then uh, later that year or early 2016, completely coincidentally, also due to YouTube, um, is when the 8711 guys contacted me about helping a little bit on John Wick 2. You know? Wow. And they didn't know that I was thinking about getting into stunts. It was like completely organic coincidence. Yeah. That's... Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the rest is history. And then by the end of 2016, I was in the union. And so now I'm almost in the union for four years, I guess, coming up on four years. So I want to, I want to definitely delve into that a little bit more a bit, but um, I want to kind of backtrack a little bit to yeah. the first movie you were talking about. You had a, a pretty, or what I believe to be is, my opinion to be a, a pretty significant part in legalizing MMA in New York. You want to delve into that a little bit? Uh, as far as well, forming the coalition I mean, were, stuff? Yeah, sure. And for anybody who wants to see the movie, it's off of Hulu and it's on my Vimeo for free now. So anybody can definitely can check, check it out, out. and I'll, I'll make sure I put the link in there for that. Um, I mean, there were a lot of people involved, you know, but I think the, the important thing to remember is like, there's the main, the the main story, let's say that the UFC pushes and their role, and then there was a whole grassroots community involved in getting getting uh, MMA legalized, of which I was part, you know. And um, so in twin in 2010, I started the coalition to legalize MMA. Like there were a whole bunch of groups doing things, you know, like to try and get on the radar of politicians and this and that. But everybody's working independently, so it was kind of my baby to create a coalition to try and get all these people working together. And I was essentially inspired by inspired to do it by uh, Eddie Goldman, who at one of the MMA expos, they used to have the MMA expo at the Javits Center. Uh, and they had a panel of people talking about how it was still banned. And, and Eddie had said up there, like, yeah, it's we're never going to get it until we have a strong grassroots community pushing for it, you know? Oh, there's strength so that kind numbers, of, so... Yeah, yeah. So we so I started the coalition and then then it really became like um you know, a group effort, you know, and there was a lot of communication going on. If people are interested, there's a you can kind of for the nerds out there who are the history nerds, if you go to um nymmanow.blogspot.com. That was the old blog for the coalition and everything is still up there. You can kind of follow from the beginning to the end of what we did. What was know? the what was the state's biggest objection to legalizing it? Well, it changed over the years. It was kind of a fluid thing. There wasn't <laughs> one objection. You know, originally it was banned because it was too brutal and like you know, like all this kind of stuff. Right. I mean, there were a lot of people lobbying against it for different reasons over the years, including the Catholic Church. They were lobbying against it. You know, they actually equated it to uh, bestiality. I have Are I have the letters me? that they. No, seriously, I still have the letters that they sent to the to the state senate and assembly. Um, yeah, they put it on the same level as like bestiality and pedophilia. And wow, stuff. like like real <laughs> bizarre stuff, especially sounds, knowing who it was coming from. Yeah, but, it sounds like for every time that you kicked up a an, a reason to explain away an excuse, they just find another excuse to try and keep it out. Yeah, and then and then like so in the beginning, um, it I would say the last bunch of years it really became a union 
a union thing, you know, and um, even though the majority of unions in New York wanted um, MMA in New York, it meant more jobs, you know, for them at the different venues and things and uh, hotels and like, but the reality is, is that the main thing keeping us out was a union battle going on between um, the Fertitas, the owners at the time, the, the majority owners of the UFC, Right. And who are also the owners of the station casino hotel chain in Vegas, which is a non-union chain of hotels. And they uh, were in a long, long battle about over-unionization over there. It. So basically, New York MMA kind of became this proxy battleground for that. And uh, in solidarity with those unions, you know, there was a real push by the, uh, the hotel and hospital, uh, the hotel, hotel and um workers unions and the culinary unions and stuff like that here in New York to not, to not allow MMA in. And in the beginning that in the beginning, like when we started the coalition, that really wasn't a thing. It sounds like they were, uh, sorry. It sounds like they were, um, kind of looking at everything as being strictly a UFC thing. And there's so many other promotions out there that do things the right way that maybe treat their employees and and everybody around the, the production better. Well, and you can thank Dana, that, but. you can thank Dana White for that because it was his big mouth that kept talking about the union stuff, you know, and making it a UFC issue and not an MMA issue, you know. Yeah. And I'm still I'm still blocked by him, by the way, on Twitter. <laughs> like I I was quoted in a in a story on ESPN that he was that he was actually the worst thing. I said something like he's the worst thing for New York MMA, you know, like that um, he's not helping us, and the best way to help us would be to just shut up. You know what I mean? And um, That's one way to get him blocked. Well, I didn't know that I was <laughs> blocked, right? But then I, because I was working with the USC lobbyist, you know, me and a bunch of others were working, we're, we were commu- in communication with the lobbyist that the UFC had hired here in New York. And so I was invited to be at the Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate uh, presser that happened at Radio City. Right. So for that, for that first fight. So I was backstage for that whole thing. And, um, and then the, the lobbyist said, Oh, let's, let's go meet Dana, like whatever, you know? And, um, so I don't think Dana really knew that I was the same guy that he knew from like interviews and, and internet and stuff like that. I don't think he made that connection. So, uh, you know, we met like for five minutes, chatted and then took a picture and then that was it. You know what I mean? And then, uh, so after that night was over, I went on to Twitter to tweet the picture and say like, Hey, it was great to meet you or whatever. And then I found, that's when I found out that I was blocked. <laughs> like, Oh damn, that guy, that fucker Oops. blocked me, man. But so I you, mean, honestly, the, the politicians like every year there was like what they would call lobby day, right. like up in Albany, you know? And they would just like, I've been in, I went to a lot of meetings with different politicians, like local politicians, assembly people and senators talking about all this stuff. And, um, you would bring up Dana White and they just roll their eyes. Like, oh God, that guy, you know, he's, he's, like a, that. Yeah. he's a character and not to say that I've ever met him. Um, but you know, he's, he's definitely got an idea of his position in life and, and it's, it's definitely a little odd for some people to digest. You've, yeah. um, you've worked with some pretty big names fight in the fight game wise. You want to expand on, I guess maybe one of the biggest ones that you've worked with. With him, uh, uh, Fedor. Who? Oh, Fedor. Well, I wouldn't say I worked with him, but uh, met him a bunch of times, 
and he used our gym for his uh, workout space in the city leading up to um, uh, his fight with Bigfoot Silva in Strike Force. And then um, that's, I mean, basically the Sambo connection, you know. I remember before that, I know, I remember him, I had heard like from his camp after that Henzo's had offered up his space, you know what I mean, too. It was a much bigger and grander yeah. space, but Fedor didn't want to be seen, you know, at a jiu-jitsu school. Understood. And we had, mutual, we had mutual connections and stuff. And, and my gym is smaller, but also much more intimate and more kind of like uh, clandestine or like hidden <laughs> away, you know what I mean? Haven't and, been um, there yet. I can, I can definitely test yeah. that. <laughs> so it was a good private, you know, he would do his, he would do his public workouts elsewhere. But the, the the actual workout that he would do every day just to stay fresh leading up to the fight, he would do at our gym. So that was that was pretty cool. Like that that all hooked up because a good friend of mine, um, Alex Savitsky, who's a Sambo guy who I was uh, I was on the coaching team of I mean, I've known him for years, but um, we got to really know each other well when I was on the coach for the two thousand eight world championships. I was on the coaching team and I was in his corner. Um at the worlds, you know, and he's fought Fedor three times at the worlds. Really? You know? I mean, he's, he's lost every time <laughs> uh, he actually managed to score uh, a points on him for a throw though, which is pretty rare. Yeah. But, um, he was, Fedor was a, just a beast, a phenom to, to reckon with. Yeah. yeah. And he was yeah. so kind of unassuming with that. I mean, just that blank, I guess, quote unquote, typical Russian expression of no expression. Yep. Just yeah, everything yeah, was totally. dead serious and yeah. almost a lo- to a point like he looked aloof. Like he just, had no concept of what was going on. It was, it's he kind was of a cyborg. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, so anyway, but over the years, like he and Alec kind of got to know each other, you know, just having competed together and stuff. And then Alec became like the M one rep here in the States. And you'll see that if you watch, actually, if you watch the, uh, the New York MMA documentary, part of it is like a uh, tryouts for M one global when they were like holding American events. And, and, um, Alec, was the organizing the auditions and the, the tryouts, tryouts and stuff. And, um, so anyway, but he, he stayed in contact with, uh, Fedor. So it was mainly through him that I made that connection with Fedor's camp, you know? And, um, so, you know, little things over the years, like one, you know, like, uh, he bought a Kirka from us for one time. He, he did, he had to do a presser in LA and then he came all the way, he was in New York and, um, realized he didn't have the Kirka that he was going to walk out in. You know, Got and it. so um, he bought one from he bought one from our gym and stuff. You yeah. know, it's just like, and then he used our space, and then at the same time, because of my kind of, this is a, you get the theory, you get the story here. It's all these overlapping like aspects of my life, right? So like at the same time that all this was going on, I was also getting more involved in the TV stuff. So and that got me on the radar of, of Spike TV, where. Um, my friend Matthew Kaplowitz, who is also a filmmaker, and I worked on a couple of documentaries with him. Um, he was a editor and uh, you know production assistant, uh, well, assistant producer. He wasn't a PA. He was an assistant producer over at Spike for their MMA content. And um, so Spike started shooting a lot of the post-fight interviews with journalists and stuff at my gym. Nice. You know what I mean? So like they used started using my gym as a location for all their pre-fight stuff. So then that dovetailed into, you know, like the uh, the most recent um, Bellator pre-fight stuff, you know, before the the um, they did the big 
Bellator NYC at the Garden. And then they did the whole pre-fight thing with Fedor coming to my gym to meet the students and everything. So that's all just like, it all kind of just flowed together. Like my, my beginning life in television stuff and then my, my fight life. And then, you know, it's like all the different people I know from these different worlds kind of came together to create this crazy life path that I have, you know? Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Just to clarify the Kirker is the, the, like the gi top or the the jacket. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Sambo jacket. Yeah. Um, so to jump back forward a little bit, you mentioned possibly one of the most amazingly choreographed fighting movie franchises in recent history with, uh, John Wick. How, how was it like working on that? It was great. I mean, I'd love to do more of it, you know, I mean, really my, my role is very small, you know, like, um, the, in John, I actually didn't know this, like, like, so in 2014, I guess it would be when they, when John, when they were, or 13, when they were working on John Wick one, um, probably 14, I came out in 14, but I don't remember, well, it doesn't matter. But so I got a call at at that time. I wasn't even thinking about stunts as, as a thing, you know, and, um, nobody, no stunt people, no coordinators, no teams. None of that was on my radar. It just wasn't anything that I was thinking about. Right. So I got a call from what turned out to be 8711 uh you know hey you know we need we we're working on this movie and we need russian bad guys you know it turned out to be john wick one <laughs> and um but nobody knew that, you know they didn't even know it was, they thought it was just going to be some independent action film that probably went nowhere you know what i mean little did they know yeah right but uh, so like um, Eric Brown, who's on that team, he's actually a black belt under Eric Paulson. Okay. Uh, Eric Brown and um, Chad Stahelski and uh, probably maybe David Leach. I don't even know. You know, to be honest, I don't remember. But a bunch of the people from 8711 from the stunt team came by my gym and they were like, hey, you know, we're looking to uh, – find some Russian bad guys. Do you have anybody or do you know anybody? So I hooked, that's how Vlad Kulikov ended up being in John Wick one. Cause oh. I, I said, Oh, I know Vlad would be perfect. And at that time, Vlad had just been in, um, the movie salt with, uh, Angelina Jolie. Okay. And, um, he played her father and all like, who was like this Russian wrestler, he, you know, in like these flashback scenes to her childhood when she was at the gym and wrestling with daddy and like all this kind of stuff. So, you know, he had had he already had been in a movie, so I was like, "Oh, I know um, he he would know what it's like to be on set." Right. You know what I mean? And uh, I said, "Oh, I have somebody I think might be great." And then so he went to the audition. He actually got cast. Right. Nice. So in Wick One, he's in that scene. You know, the party scene where they're all in the hot tubs and stuff. Yeah. Where the uh, yeah, he's in there as one of the guards, and then he's also the guy that gets sniped by Willem Dafoe in the church. Like it, where they've got Wick in the chair, right, right, tied, and then one of the baddies puts a plastic bag over Keanu's head and starts to suffocate him. That's Vlad Kulikov, right? Okay. So, uh, and then Vlad gets sniped through the head by Willem Dafoe, who's outside. <laughs> so, long story short, um, you know that I had that connection with Wick one, and but like I said, it wasn't really on the radar of anything I thought I might be doing for my life. So when Wick 2 came along and then um, Chad called me into his office for during pre-production and was like, hey, do you want to help us out and come by 
rehearsals and show us a couple of cool throws or trying to add some, you know, flair and sambo flair to the to the choreography. And then I was like, oh, it's really great to meet you and stuff. And he's like, we met already. <laughs> we met, like, I came to your gym. And I was like, oh, you see, like, I had no idea that I even had met him. You know <laughs> what I mean? And um, so, anyway, WIC 2, I, I went in just for, like, literally, I wasn't union yet. It was, like, I went in basically, like, as an, maybe, I don't even know what you'd call it, like an advisor or yeah. something. Like, I basically spent a couple hours throwing Eric Brown around and Justin Yu, who was on the stunt team, filming it, you know, and J.J. Perry was there. J.J. Perry was the the um, the coordinator, the stunt coordinator in WIC 2. And he was, like, so great to me. Like, even though he, probably for him, it, like, he didn't really do much, but for me, he did, like, a ton. Right. And, um, you know, they were just spitballing ideas to me, like, oh, if he had to do X kind of throw with one hand, how would you do it? And, you know, just, like, kind of, we did that for a couple hours, and they filmed it. And then, um, but JJ was like, hey, come back and hang out, you know, and uh, see how we do things. And so I ended up going back for, like, three more days and uh, just watching how they – I was there for Keanu's first day of rehearsals for WIC 2. So I saw how they – started introducing him, the choreography to right. him and, um, how they worked him out, you know? And, um, I mean, I know he had already been working out with them for months, like in LA at 8711, but now I saw, I, I got to be a fly on the wall, like how they started to teach him the choreography, Nice, you know? And then, um, he seems to pick it up like a sponge. So it translates pretty well on screen. Yeah. Oh, it's great. I mean, like, I mean, it's, they definitely have a system, you know, they have a system. Um, they, you know, they're not teaching people jujitsu or sambo or judo. They they literally are like, okay, so Keanu can do these four throws really, really well, you know, and he can do these kind of submissions really well. And it's, it's basically like for anybody my age will understand. It's like Garanimals, you know. <laughs> it's like they'll mix and match. They'll mix and match all the different things he does well into different combinations and and make really and cool get choreography. The, get the flow, right? Yeah. You know, and it's all stuff. It's stuff from Aikido, Aikijitsu, Judo, Jiu-Jitsu, Sambo. It doesn't matter where it's from. Like a lot of the the transitions on the on the ground, the arm drags and the things like that. They're not. It's not Judo or Sambo. That's all Aikijitsu stuff. You know, it's like, um, but it's got that flavor. And so anyway, I got to watch them teach it. And then JJ was great. He kind of gave me like a little mini internship. He would walk me through all the scouting locations and walk me through all the previses, like all the stuff that they shot and show me how they did everything. Um, I learned a ton, you know, it was great. Which is translated great... to the stuff that you've kind of put out your little shorts. And I, I know you have one that's in a couple, or at least in a circuit, the film festival circuit right now. Yeah. How's yeah. That? Yeah. Totally. Any words on but, awarding for that yet? Um, well, yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, the, a lot of the stuff that we do now, it's like, um, the best thing to come out of that John Wick, the, the working on John Wick 2 in 2016 was an invitation to go train with them in L.A. You know, oh, that's really the best payment you could get. And then and then the same thing with, uh, you know, on Wick 3, which I helped with that Sambo scene, that Sambo training scene that they doubt. Now, that was more extensive work. I helped with casting. We held the auditions at my gym. And uh, I worked directly with the casting directors. I found them. I basically found them all the talent in that scene. And we auditioned them at the gym. And I essentially worked as like a casting person. You know, nice. I cataloged and 
slated them in and shot all the videos and provided everything to the casting director and, and the directors and the DP and everything. And then, uh, set that all up for them. I, and, uh, I worked with wardrobe to ensure the authenticity of the, the, uh, the Sambo outfits and right. gave them footage, you know, gave them footage of mine from when training in Russia and stuff like what, like old school gyms might look like, you know, and, um, give it that authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, and then was in it on the day too. I mean, I was there on the day playing one of the coaches and then, uh, I helped, um, coordinate what all the guys were doing, like what they were all doing in the, in the scene. That sounds awesome. <laughs> it was cool. But again, it's like, it's given me like to your question about my own very low level types of films that I'm doing <laughs> right now, just to be clear about that. But it's it definitely informed a lot by like the times that I've been over there to train, you know, taking Chad's, um, choreography classes and, uh, understanding like a little bit of their system of how they put things together. Right. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, definitely given me, it's added to the foundation of, of my own knowledge that I'll try to use and, and stuff that we do. So, and then like rewind the short that's going around now, like all that choreography was done by myself and Paul Varachi, my partner. And, um, some of it informed by the, you know, what I learned there and some of it not, you know, uh, but yeah, we're doing good. We've, we've, uh won some awards, awesome. you know, we've been in a bunch of festivals. I mean, you know, it's, it's cool. The more meaningful stuff, it's nice when you, you submit stuff like that to action film festivals and they like it, right? you know, and, and that's good because it's like you're in the community. So if people in the community are liking it, that's good. Right. But to me, it's like more meaningful in a way, like when you submit to non action genre, short film festivals and still, become a finalist or yeah that's that's better because that means something that you're doing is translating to um a different audience you know more general right you're reaching you're able to reach a broader audience with with what you're putting out it's not just a a single genre thing it's clearly you're hitting that a number of genres with that you've uh if i recall correctly and, and i apologize if i misquote this or misword this there's in my opinion, there's a, a big, I guess, a slap in the face to, to stunts in the big award shows, the Grammys and, and all those things. Not the Grammys. Um, the Oscars. The Oscars <laughs> and things like that. And, and I know there was a big push around the movie community and, and the movie industry about getting the notoriety and the recognition that stunt workers quite deserve. I mean, you really can't make a movie nowadays without having some degree of stunts involved. You want to kind sure. of touch on that? Every, every, well, every Best Picture nominee last year had a stunt team on it, every <laughs> single one. I mean, how could you nominate Black Panther for Best Picture but not, not have stunts? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that, that's all you need to say right there. But um, in terms of my personal feelings about it, like obviously they, you know, the community deserves recognition. I am not so driven for that, that I would, you know, be marching in the streets and stuff. Like, I think it's important, right? but I think there are more important things that we could fight, fight over and fight for, you know, than, than a statue, you know, like I, I'm not going to say, I don't think it's deserved, right? you know, um, if you are awarding best visual effects, 
you know, you should be able to award best stunt coordination, you know, especially because honestly, those two, those two departments work hand in hand, you know, I mean, all the departments work hand in hand. Right. I mean, it's it's a huge collaboration. Anybody that's worked on anything, no matter how big or small of a production, you, you, you see that continuity. You have to have the continuity between all the the little individual departments to have that good production. You be, yeah. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, No, no, I was going to say, so yeah, I mean, Obviously, the recognition is deserved. I think there's an old school mentality that still permeates from the early days of of the film business, where the stunt performers were like the magicians, you know, and hidden away. Right. And um, I think a lot of the old timers, um, in both the production side and in the stunt side, like still still feel that way. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not so strongly about being known that I feel like we need to be front and center, but you know, I don't, I also don't buy the the myth that, well, if we reveal that so-and-so is doing stunts for so-and-so that it's going to ruin the movie magic. Like I don't really, I think that's a load of hogwash. Like that would be like saying, it's like when people have said that to me, Oh, well, if we reveal that, you know, uh, you know, Zach Duhame is really Brad Pitt's stunt double in, in you know in um in the new one uh, once upon a time in hollywood right then it's going to ruin it everybody's going to know that it's not really brad pitt but then i say to them hey listen when you watch jurassic park do you think that's a real dinosaur (laughs) no (laughs) does it ruin the story to you for you that you know it's a cgi dinosaur no you you can you can look past that that's a that's a very illogical in my opinion assessment and, and excuse i mean I think most people know nowadays that there there are some people, and just because you're giving an award to a, a stunt team, you don't have to say exactly what stunts they did. It's just an acknowledgement of the overall production and, and the impact that their craft had on the overall production. And that's what I think sure. the award shows really are supposed to be about is you sure. know, recognition for work done. Um, and it definitely, it's, and I understand your point, it's, it's not the big thing. It's not like a big thing to fight about, but you, know, you guys put your bodies through some pretty amazing things and and you definitely as a part of the industry should deserve the recognition it's and you know for me it's more than just the the risk factor like i know a lot of people focus on the risk factor but to me the risk factor is real you know put our bodies on the line or whatever it's like that is like the least important part of it the most important part of it is all the the scientific planning and development that goes into like these stunts, you know, that they're extremely technical events, you know? And so like, yeah, there's risk and people could get hurt, but that's already, that's like fast forwarding to the end. Let's talk about all the prep and planning and, and engineering and design and rigging and, and um, pneumatics and computer stuff, (laughs) all the stuff that goes into making that like car, stunt look good good yeah you know what i mean i've been on it's a, a number of sets and i've seen the detail the especially and, and really it comes down to like the attention to detail to make sure that everything looks authentic i, I mean i had the, the yeah. pleasure and i'm pretty sure it was um uh, 1198 they did the stunt choreography or the fight choreography for creed 2 so mm-hmm. I, I had a chance to meet and i was talking to a handful of their stunt guys that were coordinating coordinating stuff and 
a large portion of that time was spent them walking through the scenes and then the actors would come in. They'd kind of walk through the scenes with the actors a few times. The attention to detail to make that look as authentic and realistic as possible is just phenomenal. And that's, yeah. you know, that's the yeah. things that I really think you guys as a, as a group deserve the recognition because people, like you said, they don't understand the, the time and effort and knowledge that goes into that. It's, it's just yeah. as important as the director of photography or the producer or even the director themselves. So I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's sure. all this amazing collaboration. You want to put out a good product at the end. So, I mean, I think eventually it will happen. You know, it's just like, I, like I said, a lot of the old school guys still have a certain feeling about it. You know, it's still, it's like the old days when like Douglas Fairbanks or whatever, they had a, a stunt double to do his sword work, but nobody knew about it, you know, right. or like whatever, like they, they'd wrap for lunch and then they bring in the, the, they'd redo everything while everybody else was out at lunch, you know? So like nobody, like that's like legit, that kind of stuff would happen. Like wow. you go back and like read about like, um, I didn't even know about this guy, but, uh, I learned through the stunt coordinator, Doc Duhame, who I worked with on Ray Donovan, uh, Dick Talmadge, one of the earliest, earliest guys, you know, people want to know who he is. Look him up. You know, it's like, there's all these guys back then that nobody knows about because they were kept secret, you know? Um, so that mentality is still around, just not as bad, but unfortunately, you know, it's, it's, um, the power, you know, the, the older generation people that still have the power, right. like still feel that way in a lot of ways. And there's know? a lot of things that kind of translate across all parts of our existence of this old school mentality to, to stop progress and, and acknowledgement of, of things, whether good or bad. Yeah, it definitely permeates, I think, throughout humanity um kind of the i mean there are legitimate challenges like right. into how you would award stunt coordination like the emmys do it right the emmys award stunt coordinator you know the sag awards they do stunt team you know like it it's um but like for oscars like on a big film it's like you know there's no set like let's say some directors are really good at directing action, you know, and the stunt coordinator or the second unit director is doing, you know, let's say Steven Spielberg, you know, like will direct most of the action himself or whatever, you know? So like who do you know, it's like, or if you have, um, I, I just think the challenges is that there's not, you know, from film to film, how the stunts, how the action scenes happen is not like this ubiquitous thing. Right. So there, is, there are some films where it is largely the second unit director or the director that's running that show. And in other films, it's like not, you know? So it's like, how, how do you acknowledge the proper people is one of the challenges, I Got think, it. you know? But, um, but that doesn't mean that that shouldn't, that, that challenge shouldn't be taken on and, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's just, you can just, it, it could just be best action design. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and then the film production itself could provide the list of who would be on that, who should be on that team. Right. You know? Um, you know, let's say Schindler's List, we're going to do best action design, you know, or that because of the, the uh, D-Day scene or, or, you know, I'm not, uh, not Schindler's List, the, um, uh, what's the other one? Saving uh, Private Ryan. Saving Private Ryan, yeah. Like, amazing, amazing scene. Like, so, 
we're gonna we want to nominate it for best action design and then you talk to you talk to the production all right who should who should be the list of nominees who should it be you know they'll tell you yeah who did the bulk of that work and who was the organizer and and which people were involved you know so to uh to inquire kind of a, I guess give you a chance to dispel dispel any of the myths that really I guess pish off to hear the most. Are there any specific misconceptions or, or myths about the stunt industry that, or, or what you've experienced that you'd like to dispel because they drive you nuts? Well, I, I will preface it by saying I'm really not a veteran. I'm still a rookie. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I'm only four years in the union, going on four years in the union, or you know, basically now four years in the union because like it was the end of 2016 that I got in. So, um. I haven't done, I still haven't done a lot of the things that I want to do. You know what I mean? Like in terms of actual types of stunts and stuff. And, um, what would those, what would some of those stunts that you want to try be? Well, I mean, I've never, I haven't been hit by a car yet. You know, there's like classic, there's classic, there's like a checklist of classics that I feel like that's why I don't, that's why I don't call myself a stunt man really, because I feel like I haven't done enough of, Stunt, stunts. The required right. stunty things, you know, like I haven't been set on fire. You know, there's <laughs> like a, there's there's some basic things that I haven't done that I feel like I should be able to do. You Check know? off before you can call yourself a stuntman. Got it. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's a humble so, uh, assessment of yourself, I have to say. I just use I just use the uh, the union title that I get stunt performer. <laughs> so, you know, um, but so in terms of myths. Eh, I don't know. I would say, sadly, one of the biggest myths is this whole thing about how the stunt family were all this, like, this big supportive, you know, family of community. It's I've never seen a more cutthroat community of factions where people are shitting and on each other and trying to tear each other apart more than That's I thought. Martial arts is bad. Yeah, you know, I thought martial arts is bad. <clears throat> I think the more accurate phrase would be dysfunctional family. <laughs> Which aspect of martial arts do you feel is the, the more cutthroat end of it? Cause I mean, Mike, well, you know, martial arts are always like, you know, that, that guy's technique sucks. No, that guy, we're the legit this, you know, like the Got stereotypes it. of like the different styles claiming the other styles are not the, the legit, you know, like all that kind of stuff. But that happens like exponentially in the stunt world. Really? You know? Yeah. 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 Now, I think the family part of it is actually very true, like within a team working on a project. Right. For well, the you most have to have part, blind trust yeah. in those people too, because yeah. literally they have you have they have your life in your hands sometimes. Yeah, totally. And so that experience is very communal and very very tight knit. You know, like, um, but community wide, there's a lot of ugly political infighting you know got it but uh so you know a lot of people will just say it's kind of like a trope you know the hashtag stunt family like whatever like i think that's just not true an illusion yeah it's it's the magic but (laughs) yeah the other thing i don't know if it's a myth or not but i can tell you the thing the one thing that surprised me most after finally getting in the union that I wasn't expecting, like I was completely expecting to not know more than I know, right? I was completely expecting to have to buckle down and start learning a whole bunch of stuff that I, that I know nothing about. And like to, you know, that there was a, 
beginning of a long educational process that was going to happen like once right. I got in the union. But the one thing that really was surprising to me was how many actual acting auditions I would have to go to. <laughs> like, you know, because for people listening that may not know, like, you know, stunt performers don't generally have agents. It's, we usually get hired by reputation, word of mouth, you know, like skill set that a, a coordinator knows what we can do and we get hired to do a particular job combined with how we look potentially depending on what character we're going to be playing or doubling or actor we're going to be doubling or whatever. But, you know, I think what surprised me most was how many times I've had to go and read, you know, because you're going to play a, a small character, you know, you're going to act before you get killed <laughs> or yeah, before whatever happens. There was yeah. a, what crap, what show was that that I just watched with you on that? Um, Oh, uh, Hunters? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was, yeah. Uh, that was, that first of all, it was a phenomenal series and show with a nice twist at the end. Oh my God, but that show was great. I you're, I'm uh, so glad they got a season two. Your scene was, uh, was, was pretty awesome. I remember when I had spoken to you months ago, uh, just before that was released, you were kind of talking about your day on the, on set that day, and it was pretty comical. But, uh, yeah, I had, I had two days on set. One day was, Essentially, I didn't do anything because, like, the scene for people who haven't seen it is, like, there's this big, giant barbecue, pig roast and all this stuff and speeches and uh, going on, like, you know, kind of like uh, it, it took it takes place in the South. It's like there's stars and bars, flags everywhere, and there's, like, Nazis hiding around. You know, it's like whatever. It's at this big Fourth of July barbecue. Like, they probably had, like, 80 to 100 background people there. It was, on, it was shot um, – on this farm upstate. And, um, so basically the first day they, I would just spent the entire day just in the background, just establishing that I was there. Like the stunts, you know, my stuff that I was going to do was on day two, but I still had to be around, you know, to establish that I was at this barbecue right. or whatever. So I literally spent the whole day turning the, the pig on a spit with, <laughs> uh, with the other stunt performer who was working. You know, because they don't, they won't put background people by real fire. So, like, they'll um, have the stunt people do that. You know, so like, they, we were just literally all day, ten hours, whatever, <laughs> standing by the fire, turning, turning the pig, which was great because it was really cold out. You know, and everybody else was freezing. You got we to keep just, warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that was fun, and the director, like, you know. Not that I expect directors to know my name. There's like 300 people's names that they have to memorize, but I became Pigman. You know, so funny. Hey, Pigman, you'd hear over the loudspeaker. You're turning it too fast or like whatever. Slow down. Yeah. yeah I've, uh, the, the experiences I've had on set, it, when the first time that I had a director actually call me by name, I, I didn't even realize they were talking to me. And it's like, hey, Mike, do this. And I was just standing there completely oblivious. And they're like, um, he's talking to you. I'm like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't expecting him to know me by name. So it's, yeah, it's definitely, yeah. A, I guess, a little pat on the yeah. back, so to speak. <laughs> but, but to your point, like, there, were, I had to deliver like two lines, you know, on day two before I got killed by, uh, <laughs> by Sister Harriet, the nun, kills me, right? So, um, yeah, I had a lot of stress over that. And what's funny is, like, I had auditioned, I had been called in for an audition for Hunters. Uh, Jared Burke was the stunt coordinator, by the way. He did an amazing job. Like that, if you when you see that show, you just have to know that yeah. Jared that he he was like he just did an amazing job, and um, and I'm very thankful for 
having him giving me a shot to do that scene, you right. know. Um, but I had auditioned for a different scene, like in person audition, went and read some lines and stuff, right. and then I didn't get it, you know. And I was like, ah, okay, like most auditions, you yeah, know, like whatever. But then I guess, but I did, but then they called me back for this scene. So I guess the the read was okay, just not for that one. You know, you just didn't never fit know that particular what that what they were looking for in that particular scene. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, yeah. They saw something. So, and they well, liked. yeah. Oh. So that was cool. I had to practice my German accent and do all that kind of stuff. And, uh, it <laughs> so, was cool. I've uh, I've stolen about an hour of your time, which I greatly appreciate. Um, anything that you want to plug before we uh, end this? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, I would say. Um, yeah. Uh, the new movie that's coming out, Save Yourselves. Everybody should check it out. I mean, if you're in a state that's allowing uh, movie theaters or drive-ins or whatever, I know it did go into theaters on Friday. Okay. Um, but it'll go on video on demand on the 6th, which I think is Tuesday. And um, it's a really, really cool um, sci-fi comedy. Okay. And um, it's actually the first time I've got a cast credit, which is Is that the fun. one that I just saw you... Brief clips running through the woods. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So uh, my character is called Desperate Man. It's <laughs> like the character, but it's like um, the movie is is great. The movie is so good. It's by um, um, Sunita Mani is in it. She's the the female lead. Um, people might know her from Glow or from Mr. Robot, okay. and um, John Reynolds is the lead male her boyfriend and he people know him. He's the cop in stranger things. And, um, he's in search party on, uh, HBO max, okay. uh, which is another great show. It's like a, kind of like a lot of the same crew, like Ben Sinclair from high maintenance is in it. And, um, it's just a really good movie, dude. And all the reviews are great. And you would think it was shot for, for with the pandemic in mind, but it wasn't like, it's, it's literally about this hipster Brooklyn couple that anybody from New York will swear. They know people like this. They play <laughs> this couple so well, you know, and, um, this hipster Brooklyn couple that like decide to focus on their relationship and get off the grid and turn off their phones and shut off their computers. And they go up to a cabin up in the Catskills for like a week you know, to just be with each other. And during that week is when aliens invade her. Right. <laughs> but they're, they're unaware of it because they've disconnected themselves from the grid. So I don't know, maybe the lesson there is you shouldn't disconnect from the grid, but, <laughs> and then all the mayhem starts right. and it's just, it's just really, really good, man. Good. It's really, really good. And then, um, it's not a stunt heavy movie. Uh, Jen Lamb Hewitt, was the stunt coordinator and uh Chaz Menendez was the covering stunt coordinator on the day that I worked and um my the day that I worked I had to do some a wire pull uh so uh Tim Buchanan and Ben Resendez were the riggers for that scene and so it was really good so when you when you watch it a big part of why that scene is so cool is because of those guys behind the scenes you know what I mean like we were talking about before, all the prep that goes right. on before you see like me get killed, you know, <laughs> it's like all the work that goes into that beforehand. Yeah. So um, it's definitely good. And um, yeah, check it out. Video on demand starting the 6th. Got it. That's 6th of October. Save yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Next week. 
Anything else? In a couple days. Like your school and such? Uh, yeah, you can check out – people can check out uh, the gym, although we're not really open. Yet. But you can learn about us <laughs> at uh, ussambo.com. And you can kind of check out our stunt crew at breakfallstudios.com. And um, I don't know when the gym will be open, like taking new people at, at, at any – I don't know when that will be. Right. Who knows? Right now we're just basically doing private lessons right. at a distance yeah. with uh, current current students. You know, we're not really taking new people right now. Understandable given the so, state of things. So, But hopefully in the future. I, mean, I can only have three people in the room maximum, like, you know, for like a semi-private lesson. And um, I'm just not going to sign up new people right. when I can only have three people in the room. So yeah. that'll push out the loyal people. Right. I don't want to push out right. the loyal people. And that makes sense. Yeah. It's, you know, got to protect the ones that you know that are com- people that you're comfortable with too it's it's people you know that are not going to do something yeah. stupid and lie to you and end up getting sick so yeah, yeah it's all about yeah, self-preservation there which makes perfect sense but uh totally. again i greatly appreciate your time i appreciate the uh conversation and i will everything we just kind of talked about i'll throw into the show notes so people can follow you and follow your career and everything and stay safe and healthy man yeah. hey thanks so much thank you Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.